Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Isn't it interesting to hear different people's stories about how they met, how they came together, how they got to know each other? Maybe how they got engaged or how they got married, and, and you find out if you ever meet somebody, maybe you ask them, and sometimes it's crazy stories, like stories, I was, forget who it was, recently was just telling me, I, I, oh, I think it was, I read Pastor Tomlinson, Pastor and Mrs. Tomlinson, I think he said, I don't think I had heard it in person, but he posted on their anniversary, he walked into a gas station or something and saw this girl that he wanted to marry, and, and it's crazy how you hear these stories of how people met or how they came together, and I, there are all kinds of crazy stories like that. I saw a story about a guy, his name was Blake Martin in Louisville, and he had planned for three months his engagement in Louisville. And he had planned, he looked, found the most scenic spot, and I guess there's a, you're from this area, Cherokee Park, I don't know, a, a scenic bridge there, and he took her there, he, he planned, he, he brought somebody, got somebody there to, to be there to take a photo of the, uh, of the event. And uh, they were there at the bridge looking at the scenery, and then he stepped back. I think we have a picture of that. He stepped back. As she was looking, she had no idea. He got down on one knee after three months of planning, had the person, the photographer in position, and then he called her name to turn around, and this is what happened. (laughs) A bike went straight through, straight through their engagement. Another couple I saw online decided that Splash Mountain was the most romantic place on earth. And this girl was, was surprised when they got to the photo viewing area at the end of the ride. She had no idea, but he enlisted all of his friends and she saw the picture and now she's looking like that on the internet for all time. <laughs> a farmer decided to do a little work on his crops and then take his girlfriend up to see his handiwork. And when they got up, there it was on his giant his giant acreage there. Another couple, uh, was a, they were runners, and he took his girlfriend on a run that ended at the restaurant where they had their first date. When they sat down at the meal, she looked at the route they had run on her running app, and that was it. That was the, the, uh, where they had run and, and, and where they ended. Any Star Wars fans out there? Any Star Wars fans out there? I'm not really a big Star Wars fan, but we have some out there. Don't be ashamed of it. It's all right. You, all right. A few of you. Josh has got his hands up. Here's, if you're a Star Wars fan, here's an idea for you right there. We've got do or do not. There is no try. Somebody did that. We have in our own church someone that was a big enough Star Wars fan that they felt that the Millennium Falcon was where they wanted to get engaged. There is Mr. and Mrs. Caleb Baltazar, Caleb and Judy. Caleb sent me that picture this morning um, there, and uh, doesn't get much more romantic than that, does it, ladies? Right there. I guess if you're a Star Wars fan, that's awesome and uh, enjoyable. All different ways that people come together. In our story in Genesis 24 today, we're going to see a lady that ended up married because she was willing to draw at least 50 gallons of water, maybe more than that, out of a well to feed a stranger, to, to give drink to a stranger's 10 camels. A man she had just met that came and said, can I have some drink, something to drink? And she brought her water pot down that she had carried to the well and gave him something to drink. And then she said, and can I give your camel something to drink? And, and that was a prayer of his. It was something he was waiting to see, that it would be a lady that would say that to him. And, and camels, as you know, they can drink a lot of water. And so this lady, uh, she lowered her pitcher and got the water and brought it up and, and lowered the, from the well there over and over again. And, and, and she... Um, she gave him water, and because of that, because of her giving those ten camels water, she ended up married. Today's message is titled, A Wedding Invitation. A Wedding Invitation. Sounds like the title of one of my wife's Hallmark Channel movies she likes to watch. How many of you enjoy watching shows or movies about wedding planning or wedding, wedding decorations or wedding, all of the receptions, and say yes to the dress? Any fans? Of, I don't even know what the more, the, the, the more common ones are right now, and, and the bridezillas and all of those things. Well, for those that enjoy those things and even those that don't, you're going to get a little biblical love story today, but you're going to see that 
This biblical love story points to something that is so much bigger than it seems at first glance. Last week, we were in Genesis 23 as we're walking through verse by verse the book of Genesis. And last week, we saw a message entitled, Three Lessons from a Funeral, as Abraham said goodbye to his beloved wife, Sarah. As Sarah died at the age of 127, and Abraham mourned, and so in chapter 23 we see a funeral, and in chapter 23 we're going to see a wedding. It's a reminder that life sometimes has those seasons, doesn't it? From week to week sometimes, and month to month, and year to year, there can be seasons of of loss, and seasons of death, and seasons of sorrow, and and then they can be followed up on or preceded by seasons of great joy, and life, and, and new life, and that's what we have here. We go from a funeral to a wedding in chapter number 24. And, and today we're going to see a wedding to Abraham's miraculous promised son Isaac to his wife Rebecca. Genesis 24, for those that like, every now and again I give you useless Bible trivia facts. Genesis 24 is the longest chapter in Genesis. Uh, if you, and and I, I'm not sure, but it seems as you read it that the Holy Spirit lingers over every detail of this wedding story. And tells us so much about it, maybe because Isaac and Rebecca's love story speaks of something far, of far greater importance, and that is, it points to and is a picture of Christ and the church. We see that in Paul's teaching in the New Testament, and we're going to see it today. Before I jump into the story, I want to read you a, a verse from Christ's own words in the New Testament. It was the day of his resurrection in Luke 24, and some of his followers were walking along the Emmaus Road talking about the shocking events of his death. He had risen from the grave, and they were perplexed. They were confused. They were, they were dumbfounded. Where is he? He's gone. What is happening? And they're walking along the Emmaus Road, and they're confused, and Jesus comes up alongside a couple of them, and he starts to talk to them. The Bible tells us in Luke 24, they didn't know who he was. And and, and he said to them, I'm paraphrasing, why are you so sad? And they said, don't you know what's happened? Our our, our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ has died, and now his body is gone. He's he's not in the tomb any longer. And when the angel, the, the ladies that went said the angel told him that he rose again, but we're confused. And Jesus began to talk to them. And eventually they figured out that it was him, and he said this in Luke 24, verse number 27, it says this of his teaching, it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Whenever you read in the New Testament, generally in the Gospels where it speaks of the scriptures, It's almost always pointing back to the Old Testament because in the New Testament, they were living the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. So we think of the scriptures, and it's not a wrong thing, as our Bible. Well, they did as well, and what they had at that time was the Old Testament, specifically for the Jews, the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible. And so there in that verse where it says, beginning at Moses, Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the human writer, if you will, God is the author, but the human instrument to pen those words. So beginning at Moses, in the first five books of the Bible, and then it says, and the prophets, beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded, let's throw that verse back up, Teach. he expounded all those things in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Why do I start with this introduction? Because we need to understand that it was literally the stories and the book we're reading that Jesus used to show these people that knew the Old Testament very well all the stories you've been telling your kids. All the stories that you've been passing down to your grandkids, all the truths that you understand from the Old Testament, those were things that were pointing to me. Now do you see I'm risen from the dead? Now do you see the gospel is for everyone? These were all foretold in shadow form, if you will, through the many of the stories of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is telling them that these things speak of him. We sometimes think... In, in, in error, we think this. We sometimes think that the Old Testament and the New Testament are two disconnected pieces of the Bible. That you've got the Old Testament and you've got the New Testament, and really a lot of people in today's day and age, and even sadly many churches and pastors at times, feel like um, you, we don't, we, we're living in New Testament church age, New Testament church in the New Testament uh, age, if you will. We don't need the Old Testament as much. Now it's good to read it every now and again to learn it, but it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of irrelevant. It's kind of disconnected. We don't really need it. There are many churches that you go to that you'll be hard-pressed to hear preaching from the Old Testament. They're going to be in many 
many of their sermon series and preaching in the New Testament. One, uh, one of the, the uh, most well-known pastors in America, of one of America's largest churches a few years ago, sadly said this statement. He said, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. We need to unhitch from the Old Testament. We need to let people, but the problem was Jesus didn't unhitch from the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the law, and Jesus pointed back to the Old Testament to teach of himself. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Jesus said in John, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Again, in that context, he's speaking of some of the passages that we're reading right here. He's speaking of what we call the Old Testament. That was their scriptures at that time. And I just want to say by way of introduction, the Bible is not 66 disconnected books. It is one grand meta-narrative that tells one story and one thread, and all of the Bible works together. It was written over a couple thousand years by more than 40 authors in three different languages on multiple continents, and it all works together to tell one story. The grand meta-narrative of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And, and as you're reading the Bible, you'll often see in stories, you'll see this meta-narrative played out in smaller stories throughout Scripture. Didn't I talk about that a few weeks ago as Isaac was offered on Mount Moriah by his father, the, the only begotten son, the promised miraculous son, if you will, being offered on Mount Moriah and God providing a lamb? What was that? That was a beautiful type, we call it or picture, or, or, or uh, foretelling, if you will, of that there would some 2,000 years later, there would be that God would give His own Son as the Lamb on that exact same piece of real estate, Mount Calvary, Mount Moriah, for your sins and for mine, God would provide Himself a Lamb. And so as we're reading the Old Testament, don't feel like this is, just, this is all disconnected, it has nothing to do with me. No, it's a beautiful, it, it goes together beautifully. I've, I've said it before that the Old Testament can be summarized as promises kept. I'm sorry, promises made. And the New Testament can be summarized as promises kept. And so in the Old Testament when you're reading, it's pointing to a coming Savior, and then in the New Testament when you're reading, it's pointing back to a Savior that has come. So all of that understanding, yes, we're going to read a wedding story, but it's so much richer and more beautiful and deeper than just some 4,000-year-old wedding story. It is a beautiful picture of who God is and His love for you and me today, and things that we can learn. I do want to give one more caveat, and then we'll jump into the story. Uh, be, be careful, the Bible is not some mystical, symbolic book where everything you read has some crazy hidden meaning. You can get yourself into a lot of trouble. People do this sometimes with what's called numerology. They'll find certain numbers in the Bible, and this verse says this, and so if you add up that, and then you minus that, and you divide that, and that means Jesus is coming back yesterday, and they get into all kinds of crazy stuff. The Bible, we believe the Bible is, is 100% true, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's, it's, it's God's Word, I'll say that again, it's inerrant, it's infallible. It's not a book of fables or fairy tales. It's not all symbolism, it's not, it's, 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 we believe in a historical, grammatical, hermeneutic, or interpretation of Scripture. But there are beautiful pictures that God would give them, don't we do that? God did that in parables in the New Testament. He would tell them a story that they would understand on earth that would teach them something far deeper spiritually. And the same is true of much of what happened in the Old Testament. It was teaching them things, pointing. When the, when the children of Israel were leaving Exodus, when they were leaving and the lamb was slain and the blood was applied to the doorposts, and what did do? God, what, what happened? God passed over and delivered them. What is that? A picture of redemption, that the blood of a spotless lamb can save our house from condemnation and judgment. Beautiful pictures. He was putting, he was planting these seeds in his people's hearts of their need for a Savior that he knew was going to come. He was letting them know, and as their children learned these stories, they would then, when Jesus came, they would see it that, oh, that's the, sh the shadow we've been looking at, now is here in full figure, and we see it. 
So I want to be clear, the Bible is not, don't read the Bible with some weird, mystical, spooky, symbolic eyes that, oh, I've got to find out the deeper meaning. Often, we, what is the clear, plain teaching of Scripture is the best teaching of Scripture. And so we're not going to get super crazy in this, but as we understand the meta-narrative and we understand the pictures, we can find some things in this story that are very, very applicable to us today. Let's look, chapter 24. Our introduction is done. Let's jump into the story. Chapter 24, verse number 1. Chapter 24, verse 1, the Bible says, and Abraham was old. They just put it like it was. Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house uh, that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. That sounds like an awkward request in our culture today. That was a way that you would swear by something. You were saying, I promise. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. I'm going to preach this next week from this passage in fa- in, on Father's Day. But, but parents, it's important the way that we raise our children and, and who we allow our children to interact with and who we encourage them and all of those things. And he says, there, I, I want, I brought my my son up in a certain way, and God has a certain plan for him. And I look all around me, the Canaanite women have no heart for God, no desire for God. Do not allow my, my son. We've got to find, of course, this was in the days of arranged marriages in this culture. We've got to find a, a, a wife for my son that loves God. Verse 4, but thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angels before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. So he says, and many, many um, surmise that this may have been Eleazar, Abraham's lead servant in his house. We don't know. God didn't want us to know that detail for this story, so we don't know for sure. But he took his servant, his, his one his most trusted servant and said, I want you to go find a wife for my son. And Eliezer said, well, what if, that's kind of strange, I'm just going to go walk into a city and say, hey, Abraham wants your daughter to marry his son, what if she doesn't come with me? Can I come back and get him? By the way, we're talking about hundreds of miles of journey, we're talking about weeks worth of travel. Can I come back and get him and take him back? And Abraham said, no, I don't want him going back there. God will provide for you. And we see in this story, as we're understanding the beautiful picture, we see in this story, the types in this story, Abraham the father was a picture of God. I think you see that all through as you study Abraham was the father of Israel, and, and often spiritually speaking, you'll see Abraham being a picture of God. And then we see uh, in this story, in the, the chapter before, Sarah, the father's chosen one, a picture of Israel. God's chosen people, Abraham made a covenant of marriage to her. Israel was God's chosen people to whom the covenant was made. Sarah was literally, physically the mother of Israel. Israel, by the way, as you read the Bible in the New Testament, you'll see the pictures and the church, you and I, we're called the bride of Christ. God often in his, in his word uses pictures and analogies that help us better understand relationships and spiritual truth. And we're called, the church is called the bride of Christ. He's called the bridegroom or the husband. And so we see here uh, that we have Sarah, uh, and and I'm I'm sorry, as you read and study the Old and New Testament, Israel is never referred to as the bride of Christ. In fact, as you read the prophets in the Old Testament, Israel is often referred to as Jehovah's wife. I have taken my wife and you have gone committing whoredoms. You're an adulterous people, he would say to Israel. What was he saying? As Israel, the wife of God, you have committed adultery. You've gone away from me. Your hearts have gone after other things. And so we have in this story Sarah, the father's beloved, a picture of Israel. And then we have in this story Isaac, the miraculous promised son, a picture of Christ. You cannot, you cannot, this is not stretching to find things. It's impossible not to see those pictures as, as Isaac willingly laid down his life on Mount Moriah. As the father asked his promised miraculous son, and the son said, not my will, but thine be done. You cannot, it's not a stretch to find the typology there in Isaac being a picture of Christ. 
And so now, two chapters ago, Isaac had been to Mount Moriah, just like Jesus on our behalf has been to Mount Moriah, which is Calvary, the Temple Mount there, where, where he was, in that, in that area where he was crucified on Mount Moriah. His work was done, and now Isaac waited in the Father's presence until the appointed time when he could go forth to meet his bride. Isaac's work on Mount Moriah has been done. And now he waits in the Father's presence until the appointed time to go meet his bride. Are you seeing any similarities? Jesus' work on Calvary is done, and now he's waiting in the Father's presence for the appointed time to come get his bride, the Church of Christ. We see the sacrifice on Mount Moriah, a picture of salvation. After Isaac willingly laid down his life, the servant appears in this chapter and begins to work to bring home a bride for the son. Now, who is the servant in this, in this chapter? The nameless servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So we see a picture of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. What did the servant do in this story? You're going to see it as we continue. And I'm going to encourage you after this message to go back and read Genesis 24, understanding these beautiful pictures, and it will teach us much of God and his love for us and our relationship with him and the way that we should follow him. But what was the, what was the spirit of the servant in this, in this story? The servant delighted to draw attention to the son rather than himself, and he fulfilled the will of the father. What does the Holy Spirit do today? He delights to draw attention to the son. He leads us into all truth, into Christ, and he does the will of the Father. After Isaac was offered on Mount Moriah, Abraham sent the servant into another country to find a bride for his son. What happened after Jesus was crucified on Mount Moriah? God sent the Holy Spirit into the world to find his bride. Do you remember? It was after Jesus' ascension back into heaven that then the Spirit came there at Pentecost. And they began to preach, and what happened? God began to woo. The Spirit began to woo people to His Son. As a bride for His Son, people began to get saved. Beautiful typology, beautiful pictures in this story. I like what the great preacher and commentator John Phillips said of Abraham's servant, and how he points to, and, and, and reflects the Spirit of God. He said this, woven of this passage, woven into the warp and woof of the fabric of that very human story, Isaac and Rebecca's story, we see the golden threads of another and far greater story. We see the coming of the Spirit of God into the world with a great mission to win and woo a heart here and a heart there to heaven's beloved. Only occasionally does he speak of himself. His great work is to make much of the Son and to tell of the, the Father in his wondrous ways. His great task is to seek out those who will become the bride of Christ. How wonderfully he takes advantage of life's ordinary circumstances, using them to further his quest. We're going to see here in a minute, it was just the ordinary routine of going to get water for the day. And doesn't the Holy Spirit often use the ordinary circumstances of our lives to remind us of our need for the Savior, of our need for Christ. His quest, he says, and he says, uh, he never forces, never violates the human will, never overwhelms, never uses weird and uncanny means to ravish the soul. Ordinary things happen, a visit here, a chance meeting there, an unexpected conversation, a book passed on by a friend, and all the time the Spirit of God is at work, until at last the gospel is presented and the hour of decision dawns. It was the servant's way with Rebecca, it is the Spirit's way with the soul. Brad, I see you sitting here, and I see Greg sitting in the back row there. And Greg's testimony is that Brad and Greg worked together in business, and they lost a business deal. And Brad said to Greg, man, you're like Job, the character in the Bible. And Greg had no idea who Job was, and so he went and Googled and started finding out Job, and it, it created a little more of a hunger, and he was wondering and searching, and eventually he decided to pop into church here on Easter Sunday two and a half years, a little over two years ago, and he heard the gospel, and, and for a year, a year and a half, the Holy Spirit had been working and wooing in everyday, normal situations of life. And that's exactly what we see here in this story, the servant going to speak of the Son to fulfill the will of the Father. Look at verse number 10, please. Verse number 10, and the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. Verse 11, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. 
And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. God, would you please help me find the right one? By the way, it's a good thing when we don't know what's next in our lives, we're trying to fulfill God's will, to recognize and ask and request God's help every step of the way. Would you help me and help me to find the right one? Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsels whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto thy master. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born of Bethuel. And with a picture upon her shoulder, verse 16, and the damsel was very fair, a pretty lady, to look upon a virgin, a pure young lady. Neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Isn't that beautiful? A reminder, God answers prayer. Whoever I ask, if it's the right one, would she say, let me also give water to your, cam to your camels? And God heard, and God knows, and as you're trying to fulfill the will of God, and you pray, and God gives confirmation, and God opens doors, and God speaks to hearts, and God gives helps with counsel and those around you and the daily things, trust God's leading in your life. What a beautiful thing there. And here we see entered into the story, Rebecca. Rebecca was the bride for the son, a picture of the church. Rebecca, a bride for the son that the Holy Spirit had drawn unto the son, a picture of the church, you and me, believers today. In the last verse of this chapter, we see the wording. It says in the last verse, it says, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. A beautiful picture of the church, of the church stepping in to enjoy and be a part of a spiritual place that up till that point had only belonged to Israel. Now the church is not Israel, I don't believe in replacement theology, but what we see here is Rebecca coming into a place that before had only been reserved for Sarah. And didn't we see last week that you and I, spiritually speaking, we are the seed of Abraham? We are family, we've brought, been brought in, and we are, we are engrafted in and have all the, the rights to the promise that God had made, spiritually speaking, to Israel. What a beautiful thing. Verse number 26. So I'll, I'll skip, we're going to skip for the sake of time. This is a 60, 67 verse chapter, so we're going we're gonna to get through it all, but we're only going to read about a third of it. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm, but, but for sake of time, the next five, six verses, what happens is the servant, after gets water from Rebecca, the servant says, can I stay at your house? We need somewhere to stay. Well, he wants to go, she doesn't know it, but he wants to go talk to her dad and say, can, can we take your daughter back a few hundred miles away to marry my master's son? And she says, oh yes, we've got room, we've got food, we've got, we've got a place for you and your servants and your camels, come on, let's go. So we get to verse number 26. Verse 26, and the man, he gets to the house, the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. By the way, another message for another time, but often we say, I don't know what God wants me to do or where he wants me to go. Do what you know to do. Do what you know is right right now. Follow the word that has been revealed to you today, and God will open the next step for you in his timing. I being in the way. What way was he in? He was in the way the, the master had sent him. He didn't know what it was going to look like. He didn't know where it was going to lead him. He didn't know what relationships it was going to bring. He was just trying to do what he did know, do the revealed will of God, and God will in his timing give you what is the next piece of his, at this time, unrevealed will for you. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Do what you know to do is right. Teenagers sometimes, I remember being a teenager and thinking, God, I want to live for you. I want you to use me, but, but, but can I? And what's it going to look like? And who am I going to marry? And what's my family going to look like? And where am I going to serve? And can I serve? Will the church ever hire me? I remember all these questions as a teenager and then a college student training for ministry. And you know what I found? I don't have to have all those answers. I need to wake up today and do what I'm supposed to do today. 
And you do that, a a long arc of obedience, I forget that phrase, but you just do what you're supposed to do, a slow journey each and every day, and God gives you light on your path and continues to illuminate your way. So we come in verse number 28, and the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was what church? Rebekah's brother's name was Laban. And Laban ran out unto the man, unto the well, and it came to pass when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah's sister saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. It sounds good, but did you notice? What was Laban's focus on? Verse 30, when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hand. And she said, there's a, there's a guy out there, a servant of somebody that's really rich. They got 10 camels. They've got all kinds of jewelry and gold. He gave me this as a token. He wants to come talk to us. He, I, I don't know all what's going on, but he's, he's told me about his master's son. And we see here Laban, the brother, a picture of a selfish, worldly-minded man. In fact, his true character is going to be uh, revealed in chapters later. But do you notice as you study this passage and go back through and read it, Laban didn't care at all about the, the father, the son, or even the servant. He didn't care about those relationships. He cared about the gifts. Oh, if I join that family, my life gets better. Oh, if my daughter goes and does that, what's in it for me? We talked about it last week. He was much more focused on the gifts than the giver. Does that have any bearing to people living on earth some 4,000 years later? Oh, I'll try this church thing out. Maybe it'll make my life easier. Oh, I gave these years to God, and then I had this trial. We're focused on the gifts, not the giver. And as soon as the gifts dry up, or they don't look the way we thought they should, we walk away from God. And what do we see here? Laban, he's there thinking about what he can give. The servant is speaking of Isaac, and Laban is speaking of gold. The servant is speaking of Abraham, and Laban is talking about silver. Laban is focused on all the ways this will make him richer and his life better. He was interested in the gifts. Even today, it's what we would call prosperity gospel. People are interested in going to church and following God and doing those things because they've heard a pastor promise, if you do this, your life gets easier and better and richer. And then they get really confused when their life gets at times harder and sorrowful, and it doesn't come through the way they wanted. Why? Because like Laban. They didn't mind being a part of the family, although they weren't really, they had no relationship with anyone in the family. They didn't mind being associated with the family as long as it gave them some good stuff. Be careful that's not your spirit toward God and His church. I don't mind being associated with the family. Yeah, I'm a Christian because in America for centuries being a Christian has been something that has been uh, uh, politically uh, acceptable and culturally helpful in many situations. May I just let you in on a little secret? I'm not sure if you, if, if you have internet on your phone or if you have news channels on your TV. I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. If nothing changes in our country for our children and our grandchildren, being a Christian in America is not going to be politically uh, expedient. It's not going to be something that is going to get win friends and influence people. It's not culturally going to help you to advance. And so if you're only associated with the family for what you can get out of it, you're going to be really disappointed. Be careful. Why? Why are we welcoming the servant into our house for what we can get? The next 20 verses, the servant recounts the whole story to Rebecca's family. Tells them the whole thing. My servant sent me here. I've been traveling for a few weeks. I came. I had prayed to God. If I ask a girl for a drink, she gives me a drink, and then she says, and I want to give your camels drinks too. Who does that? Nobody does that. That's like saying, hey, can I have five bucks? I need some gas. And somebody says, let me fill up your whole tank. Here's a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's not going to happen very often. That's not going to—who's going to do that? And he tells them the whole story. And so I knew you have an amazing daughter, and I think God is in this, and I believe this is the one to marry my master's son. He recounts the whole story, and he asks Rebecca's family if he can take her to marry her. Skip down to verse number 50, please. Skip down to verse number 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Basically, they said— 
if this is what God wants, we're not going to tell you yes or no. I mean, it's God's thing. Verse 51, here's what they said. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. If this is God's, we're not going to get in the way. Verse 52, and it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. In the next few verses, Rebekah's mom and her brother Laban ask if she can stay a little longer. Can she just stay for at least a couple more weeks so we can have a chance to say goodbye? Which, again, humanly speaking, is understandable. But it's a picture, I believe, one of the things that it it exemplifies is we always have a reason why we want to put off making that commitment that God's calling us to make. Well, let me just, I need to learn a little bit more about this. I need to spend a little more time here. I'm going to procrastinate there. Ah, I know God wants me to take this step, and I know I need to make that commitment, but... And they said, hey, is it all, do you remember when, when Jesus called in, in, the, in the New Testament, and, and one man said, my dad just died, can I go and bury him? Do you remember what Jesus said? It sounds heartless, and I don't have time to get into it culturally, it really wasn't. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Jesus basically was saying, I don't have the time to dig into it with you this morning, but basically what he was saying was, there's always going to be a reason why you can't follow me fully. You need to decide, are you going to follow me or not? There's always going to be something in your life, well, right now it's just a busy season at work. Right now I just need to get out of that debt. Right now we just need to get through college. Right now I just need to, once I, once I get my house established, well, we're getting ready to have kids. Well, we're getting ready, our kids are getting ready to graduate. Well, once that's done, then we're really going to get serious. And if we're not careful, we go through every season. When we're in high school, we think, well, I'll get serious about God maybe when I get to college. When we get to college and we think, I've got to get my degree. I'll get serious maybe when I get out of college. And we're single and we think, I'll really settle down and get serious when when I, maybe I marry somebody, and we get married, and we think, well, we got to get our house established. we gotta, we got to grind. we got to get this thing going. You know what? If God gives us kids, then we'll really make this a priority. And then God gives us kids, and we realize we don't have more time like we thought we would, and we were already busy, and God gave us kids. And so we think, well, when they get out of this toddler stage, then we'll really get committed to God. And they get out of the toddler stage, and we're like, man, we got to get school going. And when they, get, when they get done, when they're teenagers, they can drive themselves, then we'll get going. And before we know it, we've gone for decades with, hey, can we just have a little bit more time? Just another week or two, just another month or two, then we'll get serious. And we see, they ask that, and, and a reminder, there will always be a reason to put off your relationship with Christ. Look at verse 56. I'm going to wrap it up here. Verse 56, and he said unto them, hinder me not. What a beautiful picture. If he's a picture of the Spirit, don't hinder the Spirit's leading in your life. After they ask for a delay, hinder me not. Don't say no any longer. If you're here this morning and you've been coming to church for a week or a month or a year or a decade, maybe you've been watching online or you're watching online now, maybe you're listening to this archive message weeks or months or years from now, and you've been saying, yes, I will give my life to Christ, but I just got to figure this out. Well, you know what? Just maybe next week, hinder me not. Stop saying no. What are you waiting for? Say yes to the wedding invitation. Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah. Here it is. This is what it all comes down to. Would you read verse 58 aloud with me? Genesis 24, verse number 58. This whole beautiful story of our relationship with God, our redemption in Christ, it all comes down to verse 58, the wedding invitation. Verse 58, let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said... Did you say those last three words again? She said what? I will go. You know what we might put on Instagram? She said yes. The wedding invitation was made, and she said, I will go. I will go. And that's what this whole story comes down to. The Father says come. The Spirit says come. And you and I have to make a decision. Will we go with this man? Will we give our lives to the son? Will we be willing to make whatever sacrifices it is to leave comfort and home, family and friends, to go with the son? Wilt thou go with this man? I will go. And that question rings out through the ages. There is a father who has a miraculous son. 
that laid his life down willingly on Mount Moriah, and he sent the Spirit to earth to convict and to woo and to call and to tell you, my father has a son that wants to have a beautiful relationship with you, wants to know you and love you, wants to guide you, wants to provide for you, wants to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother, wants to be the closest relationship you have on earth. And the question comes to all of us, hey, Rebecca, wilt thou go with this man? I will go. Will you give your life to him? I will. And then we finish it up. She said yes. Once we say yes, some of you are here saying, I've said yes to Christ already. If you're here and you haven't, I say to you, say yes today. And if you have, what is next? And we close out the story. What is next? If you have said yes to the son, look at verse number 61. And Rebecca arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebecca and went his way. She followed the servant, a picture of the Holy Spirit, to guide her when she didn't know which way to go. And isn't that the story of the Christian life? She did two things after she said yes to going to the son. Number one, she learned of him. It wasn't a short journey, it was hundreds of miles. After salvation, you and I are supposed to learn of the son. Can you imagine? She's riding on a camel day after day, 10, 12 hours a day maybe, maybe more. And what do you think they were doing during that time? You have to imagine she was asking the servants, so tell me more about Isaac. What's he like? Describe him. What's he look like? What's his sense of humor like? What, what makes him laugh? What's his work ethic like? What kind of work does he do? What's his relationship with his family like? Does he have any brothers or sisters? Nieces or nephews? What, what, what's his favorite thing to eat? Who's his favorite football team? And why is it the 49ers? He was a good man. I don't know why it was. But you have to imagine on this long, tiring, painful journey of anticipation, what's next? What was she doing on that? She was learning of him. And you know what God wants us to do on our long, uncertain journey where we don't know which twists and turns, we don't know where the Spirit's leading and how he's guiding? You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to learn of him. He wants us to learn more about him. She had never met him. She knew very little about him, but she chose to give him everything. The trip to her new home to be with her groom was a long, tiring, and painful one. And at times on earth, even being led by the Spirit can be at times long, tiring, and painful. I have to imagine she lay awake at night with excitement, a little trepidation, anxiousness, giddiness, and maybe even some fear of all that lay ahead of her in her new relationship with the promised son. And as we journey on our way, the believer's job is to learn of the Son. Jesus said it this way to his followers in Matthew chapter number 11. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're on a long, tiring journey? Learn of me. You don't know where the twists and turns are going to take you? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. You shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does God want us to do if we say yes to the Son? He wants us to learn of Him. And then secondly, what did she do? She looked for Him. She looked for Him. Look at verse number 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. He knew what this caravan was about, but Rebekah didn't quite know. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. She didn't know they were that close to home. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. She got off. Is that him? For she had said unto the servant, what man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, it is my master. It's him. It's the one you've been waiting for. It's the one you've been traveling to. It's the one you've been looking for. Therefore, she took a veil and covered herself, a, a pure bride, a bride that is meet for the master, a bride that is living uh, to bring him joy and glory. And, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. She looked for him. Her heart and mind were solely focused on seeing the one she had committed her life to. She had never met him, but because of the word of the servant, the word of the master, for us, the truth of the word of God, the promises of who he is and what he's done, because of that, we say yes to him. But as we say yes, we should learn of him on our journey, and then we should 
should be looking for him because the Bible says before we know it, we're going to see that promised one that we've been waiting to see again. She learned that Isaac would be coming for her, and there was no greater truth. And one of these days, the son that we have given our lives to is coming for us. And that should change the way that we live. My life verse, my, my favorite passage is in Titus chapter number 2, specifically verse 13, but the passage says this, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What is that? That's a relationship with the Son. What happens after that? Teaching us that relationship. After that, we begin to learn of him. That relationship teaches us. It changes us. What does it teach us? That we should deny ungodliness. There should be a difference about us. Deny worldly lusts. Why? We're living for the master. She was a virgin. That purity of life, that holiness, that worldly, that godliness, teaching us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? We should live that way in preparation. Why? Because we're looking for him. There's coming a day we're going to see the Son looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, a set-apart people, a unique people, a special people that are zealous of good works. So the reality that the Son We're awaiting, the Bible calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. We get to heaven, there's a huge wedding reception. The fact that the Son is waiting for us, the one who gave his life for us, the one that we've given our lives to, we should learn of him. And every day we should be looking for him. And you know if you're looking for him, if you know he could be coming back today, it changes how you live. It teaches you to abstain from worldly lusts from unrighteousness, from ungodliness in this present world. When you know he might appear today, today could be the day that you meet him, it's going to change the things you do, the places you go, the stuff you say, the priorities you live in. My wife flew up on Friday morning to a wedding in Northern California of some dear friends of ours. Friends of our daughter, we were, we've known this couple until, uh, since they were single, and then we got married around the same time, a couple years after they did, and their daughter got married, same age as our daughter. My wife was gone, and you know, yesterday morning, we knew she was coming back. And the sink didn't look like it normally looks when she's at home. And the coffee table looked a little different. And the kitchen table looked, she was only gone like 24 hours. I don't know how we did that much stuff in 24 hours. The laundry pile looked a little different. And you know what? When the reality that we might see her today put the fear of God in every one of us. (laughs) You know what it did? Yesterday morning, uh, Titus was was doing some schoolwork. TJ and our youngest were coming to the Saturday Spruce Up. I was um, working, studying all morning and and in preparation for this message and some other messages this week I'm preaching. But you know what happened before we all left the house and went our separate ways, three different cars? You know what happened? I think it was Trey or TJ. One of them said, all right, we're going to clean a little bit up now, but when we get home after the Spruce Up before mom goes, we got to do a a big cleanup. And somebody's like, what do you mean a big claim? She's been gone 24 hours. Uh, Don't judge me, all right? I don't know how that happened, but what happened? Knowing we might see her, or we were going to see her that day, changed our priorities, changed the way that we live. Looking, not, not in fear, but looking for that blessed hope. We can't wait to see him, and it could be today. That reality, it should purify us unto all good works. It should change us. The whole story, it all comes down to verse 58. What will you say to the wedding invitation? Will you say yes? Wilt thou go with this man? I will go. Will you say yes to Jesus today? What's holding you back? If you're not sure, you got some questions, come see me. I'd love to sit down and talk to you after the service. See one of our pastors. We'd love to talk to you and answer questions. But don't be like Laban and Rebecca's mom. Well, just give us a little more time. No, God has obviously ordained for you to be in those circumstances, in that situation. And he has a beautiful future for you, Rebecca. Don't put it off. Don't wait. He's got a wonderful relationship, and he's going to use you to make an internal impact. The, the, The Messiah is going to come through your lineage. Your children are going to lead to Jesus son, uh, God's son Jesus coming to this earth. Rebecca, don't wait any longer. God's got a great plan for you. Say yes to him.
Just like in Genesis 24, the Father has sent the servant to tell you of the Son. He's calling you. What will you answer? Are you like Laban? Give us a little more time. Are you like the mom? We can do it later. Are you like Laban? What's in it for me? Or are you like Rebecca? I will go. I will go by faith to this one that God has prepared me for. Rebecca could have come up with a million reasons why she didn't accept the invitation, why she put it off to stay in comfort. And then if you do, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Christ, make today the day of your salvation. And if you're here today and you have said yes, are you learning of him? Are you learning of him? How's your daily walk with him? Are you spending time in his word? How's your weekly commitment to gathering with his people in his church? I had a person, a dear family in our church I was meeting with uh, this week, and the wife said, she said, you know, we've been here, I think, four or five years. They've been in our church now. She said, every other church I've ever been a part of, all they ever do is they meet on Sunday mornings. And she said, to be honest, it's kind of a weird rhythm for us to try to, Tuesday night you've got a preaching series, tonight at five o'clock, I'm excited. Uh, I, I, I need to learn of him. I'm excited to hear Pastor Jay preach tonight. You've got church Sunday night, and she brings her family, and she comes, and they, they come together on Sunday night. And she said, we've had to learn a new rhythm. You say, Pastor Ryan, why do you have Sunday morning church, and Sunday night church, and Tuesday night uh, summer preaching series, and Wednesday uh, community group, and Thursday night young adults group, and Tuesday morning senior Bible study, and why do you have a Christian school that has has Bible every day and chapel every Wednesday, and why do we have a summer camp, and why, why do we have all these things? Why? Is it just you, you, you have nothing else to do, and you're trying to keep yourself busy? No, because once we've said yes to the Son, we're supposed to learn of Him. How are you doing in your personal study and your commitment to the corporate gatherings? How are you do, doing? And here's what she said. She said, it's been weird for us. Because we've never been in a church that had more than just a Sunday morning service. But here's what she said. But I believe we've grown so much, more, so, so much more spiritually in the last few years than we had in many years previous. That extra commitment to learning of him personally and corporately, she said, I can see the difference in our marriage and in our kids. How are you doing learning of him? And how are you doing looking for him? Does the reality of Christ's return, the reality of eternity with him in heaven change our lives in any way today? Does it change what we're living for? Do you realize, she didn't know it, today could be the day your long, tiring, painful journey ends. Can I just say, a week ago yesterday, Joe and Renee had no idea that Wednesday would be the day their son's long journey ended, 45 years on this earth. Not long enough, if you ask them, of course, their loved ones. It never is, is it? They didn't know a week ago yesterday that so quickly his health would deteriorate and God would choose to take him home. And the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You and I don't know when our journey, but it could be today. By death or by way of the rapture, we could see him today. Are you living in ways that would be pleasing to him when you meet him face to face? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.